0: Da Need I say more? On this episode of Moving Panels we discuss season one of X-Men. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and joining me today is a first-time guest host. Please welcome Justin Baker.
1: Thanks for having me, Laramie. Uh, It's a
0: pleasure. I was excited. um, A little behind the scenes here. So I was looking for a new guest host just to change things up. And Justin, who I worked with three years ago... We decided to, he reached out to me and we decided to do this episode and very excited to have you because you and I, when we worked together, used to talk about superhero movies all the time.
1: All the time. Just feels like yesterday. We were just talking about Marvel versus DC, just anything that could have been printed on a page.
0: Yeah, so I, as always, give my guest hosts the opportunity to choose whatever they want to do. And you immediately said you just wanted to do something x men and we narrowed it down to do the 90s classic X-Men, the animated series, as it's also referred to sometimes. And uh, so what is your connection with the X-Men?
1: So as you already know, I'm a child of the 80s, grew up in the 90s, and this coming out right when I was, you know, five, six, seven years old. I mean, it was Saturday mornings watching G.I. Joe's, Transformers, Ninja Turtles, and X-Men. And I can honestly say that I have a Tupperware container under my bed at my parents' house that still have uh, X-Men action figures in there, along with all the other stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I, I still have, I've got a container down in my basement that's got some of the X-Men figures that are, you know, based off of this show. Of course, I also have my super friends, Batman and Superman and all that. But no, I still have all of those. That was the great thing about growing up in the 80s and 90s.
1: No, cartoons were the best now did you have a wonder twins i did not i did not have the wonder twins those I were was, the best ones. yeah Actually.
0: i was a big super friends fan but did not have the wonder twins i mean i had dr fate um
1: but i did not have the wonder twins oh now behind that theme song it's got to be meanwhile in the legion of doom
0: oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile at the hall <laughs> of justice All right, so let's get into the background behind The X-Men, both in comic form and in terms of this television show. So The X-Men comic debuted in September of 1963 as The X-Men, Uh, Number one, later changed to Uncanny X-Men because Stan Lee apparently had to have an adjective in front of everything. It was the Incredible Hulk, the Invincible Iron Man, the Mighty Thor. So it had to be the Uncanny X-Men.
1: So you're uh, saying English teachers ran Marvel.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know what his uh, deal was with the uh the adjectives but this was stanley created and as most things around this time that stanley created it had the adjective uh the only one that i think uh, incredible hulk i think stuck more so and of course fantastic Four because that mm-hmm. one just is part of the name but the x-men the uncanny x-men they even later changed it to the astonishing x-men it was always an adjective True. I don't think
1: did DC do anything like that.
0: I'm no, j- DC's thing was giving all of their characters uh, nicknames. So, like Superman, it was Man of Tomorrow, Man of Steel. Uh, Batman, it was the Cape Crusader and the Dark Knight. Flash, it was the Scarlet Speedster and the Fastest Man Alive. Okay. It was it was all about the nicknames.
1: True. And see, I wouldn't know that. I grew up sadly just Marvel, even though you know. No prejudice here. I love DC and Marvel. (laughs) That's the same. As we all do on this podcast.
0: So the original X-Men consisted of Angel, Beast, Cyclops, and Iceman. And in the first issue, the four males are introduced to the first female X-Men, which was Marvel Girl, later just known as, by her name, Jean Grey. And, of course, they were led by Professor X, Charles Xavier, at his school for gifted students. And their very first villain, very rare in comics for the first villain and the first issue to be the the villain that sticks with them, was, in fact, Magneto. And so Magneto is the first villain that the X-Men encounter, and that is what pretty much happens in the first issue is we're introduced to the four male X-Men. We're then introduced to Jean Grey. We then get Magneto in a battle with Magneto, which this cartoon actually kind of represents that first battle, and we'll get into that when we talk about the episodes. But what X-Men, I guess, grouping, team, whatever, were the X-Men that
1: you grew up with? I mean, other than the... The show we're going to talk about, like I told you, uh, my brother used to collect Uncanny X-Men around this time, you know, mostly from, you know, love of the show. So I'm kind of used to the older 80s lineup. He had the uh, Dark Phoenix saga, and uh, he'll find out eventually, I guess, when he re- uh, you know, listens to this podcast, but I used to sneak his comics when he. <laughs> He used to keep them under his bed in uh, a box and sleeves and the ones that he didn't like or the ones that he really liked, I would sneak a peek at them. And so I was kind of used to all of them, but I would have to say probably the lineup in the TV show has got to be my favorite.
0: So yeah, we'll get into this a little bit more when we start talking about the characters. So by this time in the comics, there were so many X-Men that they actually split into groups. And we had of the, the core group, we had the blue team and the gold team. Mm-hmm. And this cartoon primarily follows the blue team. And so we'll get into that. Of course, there was also the... X-Factor and X-Force and the British version called Excalibur mm. and there were all of these different incarnations of the X-Men by this time. But this was not the original concept. So the original concept for this cartoon actually aired a few years earlier in 1988 and it was called Pride of the X-Men with pride being spelled with a Y because of Kitty Pride, who was going to be kind of the main focus of the show. And it was the same animation team that had done the Fantastic Four cartoon in the 70s and 80s, the Spider-Man cartoon in the early 80s, and the Spider-Man and his amazing friends with Iceman, and, and the Incredible Hulk cartoon that I vaguely remember from the early 80s. And that team would feature Cyclops, Storm, and Wolverine that we would come to know in the 90s. It would also have Nightcrawler, Colossus, Kitty Pride, of course, and Dazzler, one of the lesser known. But that show didn't get picked up. It was primarily because in the late 80s, Marvel, there was a lot of problems going on at Marvel. You know, they had tried to license out their characters. I mean, they did license out their characters. uh, Just trying to get that income going, which, you know, the whole licensing thing ended up becoming a major issue later in the future when Marvel finally decided to make their own movies. But you had had the incredible Hulk television show. You had had a Punisher movie. Of course, many people forget the first quote unquote Marvel movie was Howard the duck and how much (laughs) of a
1: bomb that was. And George Lucas was behind that too.
0: Yeah. And you had the television shows. There was a failed Dr. Strange television show You had, like I said, The Incredible Hulk, which was a success. And then around this time was also the time that the Fantastic Four movie was being made that most people don't. It's kind of the forgotten movie. Great documentary. I think I've even talked about it before on the podcast called Doomed that talks about that movie. Uh, There was the 1990 Captain America right before this uh, show aired. That's one we've actually done on the show before. So go back and listen to that one and just horrible things happening at Marvel, so this didn't work. But on the bright side, this was at the same time, the late 80s, was when television started expanding with more channels. And before, you only had three major networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. But the late 80s gave us our fourth major network in Fox and Fox was looking for anything and everything that they could have as original programming. And so for their Saturday morning, for their Fox children's network side of things, they needed something. And luckily the woman they had in charge, I don't remember her name. She had remembered the pride of the X-Men. And so she pushed for Fox to have this. They greenlit it. They rushed it, which caused a little mm-hmm. bit of a problem. And they released
1: the, the first, not finished.
0: Yeah, they released the first episodes that weren't entirely finished. They were later finished. So if you watch them now, uh, whether you get them on Blu-ray, DVD, or you watch them on Disney Plus. They are finished now, but the original ones that aired had a lot of issues with the animation. But it actually aired on Halloween, October 31st in 1992. We got the first two episodes, Night of the Sentinels. They did then follow it with the third episode of Magneto," And then they held off in order to clean the rest of the show up. And didn't air the rest of it until the following year in 1993. And that's where we got our X-Men, which then, amazingly for a cartoon, ran five years, which is pretty impressive.
1: You don't see that too often.
0: No. Especially not with a kid's cartoon. Mm -hmm. I mean, SpongeBob SquarePants probably the exception there, because SpongeBob's been airing since I was in high school. Especially those Saturday morning cartoons, because those were really kind of throwaway cartoons. It was... Mm we air them to sell things and then once things aren't selling anymore we get rid of them
1: yep and another thing that really astonished me with this is the voice actors uh voice actors being from canada
0: mostly yes yes yeah. so this and, was primarily yeah. a canadian-based
1: production who knew canadians could have a southern drawl and a cajun accent
0: <laughs> yeah very true so let's get into the characters. So as I said earlier, this follows what was known in the comics as the blue team of the X-Men, uh, which of course included Cyclops Beast and Jean Grey that were all from the original comic. Uh, you mentioned the voice actors. I do want to bring up Beast. Beast was voiced in this animated series by George Buza, And although you may not be familiar with him, anyone who's a fan of X-Men has seen him because he's the trucker that gives Hugh Jackman's Wolverine a ride in the very first X-Men movie. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, fun little trivia there. (laughs) And of course, Wolverine, who I think this was the birth of him being one of the most favorite X-Men, he had been around for a long time.
1: I think he had been around since 70s, mid-70s. 1974,
0: when he appeared in, in The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, Wolverine was not originally in the X Men. He originally appeared as a side character in the Incredible Hulk. He didn't join the X Men until the following year in '75.
1: Okay, you imagine having a comic with two honorary characters, the Hulk and Wolverine. Yeah,
0: and look, that's a famous comic. I, funny enough, just side little story here. I've actually got a beach towel that has that cover printed on it. Oh, really? Yeah. So we also got uh, Storm. Uh, Storm's voice in this is voiced by, I think it's pronounced Iona Morris. I apologize to her if I mispronounced her first name. But the reason why I wanted to mention her is because of her brother. So Iona Morris's brother is Phil Morris. And if you're a fan of DC, you might recognize his name because he was the voice of Vandal Savage in the 2000s for the Justice League animated series. And he also played John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, on the television show Smallville.
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah. And coming back to it, he currently, on the HBO Max DC Universe series Doom Patrol... He plays Cyborg's dad, Silas Stone.
1: And it's amazing how people can just stay in these just kind of categories. You know, I'm just going to be voice acting superheroes.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, some of them become so iconic. It's kind of like when they perform them for real. I mean, we always associate Christopher Reeve as Superman. Hugh Jackman is mm-hmm. going to be Wolverine. And some of these voice actors are just as iconic.
1: True. And let me just say... Did you find the voice acting to be good? Because I actually, for the most part, normally cartoons, especially with thick Southern accents, for the most part, I would say the voice acting was really good. I thought it was very rare occurrence where you would find, you know, a bad Southern draw or just an instance where someone didn't need to be screaming or vice versa.
0: Oh, no, I totally agree. Uh, again i know it's a product of the age that you and i were i was a little bit older but once i saw this animated series when i would read an x men comic these were the voices that i heard in my head mm-hmm.
1: you know and there uh, was an x men comic i believe that was adapted for this was x men adventure be- yeah
0: they they did they did something where it was like exactly from the comics and it was kind of an offset of the actual Marvel storylines, uh, but no, they did they did the same thing with the Superman animated series and the Batman animated series once they came out later in the '90s. That they had comic books that were geared specifically towards
1: fans of the show. Okay, yeah. So watch the episode, then you could read about it months later.
0: Pretty much, yeah. We were also speaking of the the accents. We had Rogue character was introduced just. 10 years earlier in 1981. And then you had Gambit, who was the newest character in terms of the comics. Gambit had only been around for a couple of years. He was introduced in July of 1990. I think Gambit and Wolverine were the two breakout characters from this series.
1: Definitely. If I, if I had to say, top three would be Wolverine, Gambit, and probably Cyclops. Really? Was you only- would put Cyclops there? I don't know. Per, personally, Cyclops was always my favorite. I always went went for the the one that people didn't like. Everybody <laughs> always wanted, you know, was fan of Wolverine, so I didn't want to pick what everybody else wanted to pick. So I kind of went with Cyclops. I mean, who doesn't want to shoot lasers out of your eyes? Yeah. I,
0: I was a Gambit kid. I liked the the whole cards uh, throwing the cards. I even like the bow staff you talked about earlier. Teenage Mutant Turtles. Donatello was my favorite turtle, and I just there was All something right. about the bow staff. I loved a bow staff. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, Go guys, ahead. things other than just cards too. Wasn't that his ability? Was he? Con- yeah. So his
0: ability was pretty much to use. I think it was like kinetic energy to power something up. And it could be any object. He just liked the cards because of the way he could throw them. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's talk a little bit more in depth about two characters. One uh, I wanted to talk about because <laughs> he appears in the first episodes and then he is killed off. And that is Morph. So Morph is from the comics. He was introduced um, not too long after they started in X-Men number 35 in August of 1967. He did not have the name Morph. He was actually called Changeling. And he wasn't an X-Men. He was actually a villain. And after... He was more of a henchman of the main villain. And after the villains did something he didn't really agree with, he spoke with Professor X to kind of come to the the good side. And it didn't last long because he was then killed in a, a battle. He was actually Professor X. And it was this whole storyline where you didn't find out until Professor X is killed. And then they find out it wasn't Professor X. It was actually Changeling who had made an agreement with Professor X to stand in for him while Professor X was away. It was this whole little short, Storyline When Marvel decided to bring him back, they couldn't call him Changeling anymore because DC now owned that name. Do you know, Justin, what DC character had the name Changeling? Ah, I do not.
1: Educate me, please.
0: It was Beast Boy. Beast Boy? Ah, Beast Boy's original name was Changeling.
1: And of course, that didn't stick either. I I like Beast Boy better. But I, I mean, I'm an old man now, so I'd have to go with beast man. Well, I mean, I like the name Morph better than
0: Changeling. So I don't, I don't really get the Changeling. I get it because it has to do with his powers. But I like Morph better.
1: Yeah, I go with more. Yeah, I go with Morph or Shapeshifter. Yeah.
0: Eh, I don't know Shapeshifter. I don't know. There's something about names of superheroes that when it's just dead on, like this is what I can do. <laughs> I have a problem with that. If it's a if it's a a cool version of it, like I said, morph thinks a little bit cooler. But just calling yourself shape shifter, it'd be like Superman calling himself Flying Man, you know?
1: Gambit being called Cajun or Cards. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then we've got our what what I kind of look upon is this character was kind of the focus of the show, at least right off the bat to appeal to the younger crowd, and that was Jubilee. And this goes into our name thing again. She's called Jubilee. Her full name is Jubilation Lee, which is just the worst character name.
1: And she wasn't a very liked character either.
0: Yeah. Again, I think it it just had to do with she was supposed to be the young one of the group. Uh, The rest of them were kind of older. And And they're supposed to... Are they in their about
1: late 20s early 30s for the most part
0: that's kind of the way i take it i kind of take it that cyclops and gene and storm are all kind of in their 20s of course wolverine does act like he's you know in his 30s if not older so no i I definitely could see that rogue being younger gambit being younger but you know jubilee definitely the teenager of the group Mm -hmm and really there to kind of appeal to that younger audience.
1: And I feel like all X-Men cartoons do this. The 2010 or 2011 uh, X-Men Evolution did that with uh, Spike and uh, Shadowcat.
0: Yeah, well, the the Evolution one kind of went back to what the whole premise of the X-Men was, which was actually a criticism of this show, is that the X-Men were supposed to be teenagers. Back in the you know, the 60s when X-Men started, it was the fact they were teenagers. And mm-hmm. it was a school. And Professor Xavier made it clear that they are getting an education as well as being taught how to defend the human race against evil mutants. So we still have that. But in this show, you only have Jubilee being the kid. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that thing. But going back to Jubilee, so she she wasn't that old of a character. Gambit was still newest. Like I said, Gambit debuted in 1990. Jubilee actually only debuted the year before, in 1989. Uh, excuse me. And what's funny is I wanted to mention this in the issue that she is introduced. She is actually caught up in a fight inside of a mall and has to be rescued by. The other X Men.
1: I mean, that's the very first episode, right there, yeah, too. Yeah. And I mean, she comes off as a punky Brewster, you know, <laughs> style. She is, to me, the epitome of the '90s, oh, sitting yeah. there, arcade, playing games. You know, the not wearing the the. Rebellious- the Bright glasses colors mm-hmm. i mean it's her character to me is a time capsule of that time period oh yeah I'm, i agree changed since
0: no because she even had the jean shorts with the uh, i can't remember did she wear tights or did she just have the shorts
1: i think she just had the shorts and the giant yellow trench coat yeah
0: but it was the and shorts the- with the big like rolled up looking cuff on them yeah now for everybody and getting into the voice acting again since you've been fascinated by that so do you know who voiced jubilee Uh, that i do not know i'm assuming it's a canadian well
1: her name is allison court does that ring a bell is that the one that was uh actually ran and was in canadian parliament Ooh, that I don't know. I'd have to look that Uh, up. One of the women uh, voice actors was actually a member of Canadian Parliament. I want to say it was either Jubilee or Storm. Well, that would be cool. I
0: did not discover that in my research. Mine was mostly focused on what else would I know this person from. And Alison Court, although I'm a little older, so... I wasn't a fan of this show. I was familiar with it. Allison Court would be better known later as Lunette the Clown on the Big Comfy Couch.
1: I do vaguely remember Big Comfy Couch. Yeah,
0: so people who, pretty much the next generation of kids. You had the 90s kids watching X-Men, but then the next generation in the early 2000s would probably more
1: identify her as Lunette the Clown. So I I just looked it up, and the voice of Rogue, her name is uh, Lenore Zane, and apparently she also ran for or was part of the House of Commons in Canada. And so makes you wonder: Did she uh, use that Southern accent when she was speaking in the House and making I, law? I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna bet no on that. Okay. Alright, so let's get into the moving panels of this series, and the way we're going to do this is we're going to run through, there are 13 episodes, and we'll run through all 13, kind of give our thoughts on each episode, and I'll point out any connections that the episodes may have to the comics. And that starts off with the two-parter, so the first two episodes, which was called Night of the Sentinels. This, of course, was my first introduction to the Sentinels. I had read some X-Men comics prior to this, but I don't think I had seen anything with Sentinels in it. So this was my first introduction to the Sentinels. They did debut way back in the 60s in Uncanny X-Men 14. Uh, 14, 15, and 16 was the storyline. That was back in 1965 and into 66. These were actually little trivia here. These were the first X-Men comics to be monthly. Uh, Before that, they had been bi-monthly. came out every other month, but this Sentinel storyline in uh, X-Men 14, 15, and 16 were the first to come out uh, monthly, and so that was kind of cool. This story, of course, is kind of the bookends of the season. We start with Night of the Sentinels. We end with the final decision, and so they all came from... This same storyline with Master Mold and Master Mold taking over from its creator, Boulevard Trask, and the army of Sentinels hidden in the mountain base. All of that comes from this comic. Uh, The only thing that's drastically different is uh, Trask actually kills himself in order to stop Master Mold in the comic book. They allude to that in the final decision, the final episode, but, of course, they show that Trask survived. I mean, we are talking a kid's show here. And I'm sure they wanted to continue using the character throughout the rest of the the series and all. So, Knight of the Sentinels, first episode, our first introduction to these characters. What
1: were your thoughts? And who doesn't love giant robots? Yeah. Uh, I'm a fan of anything Gundam, uh, anything... Uh, giant robots trying to destroy stuff and is it just me or how clumsy are the sentinels like in a real world like taxpayers are going to get upset that you know a giant robot is wrecking them all to hunt down one person
0: yeah yeah that's your thing about the giant robots because later in the 90s we would get the mighty Morphin power rangers and just think (laughs) about all the buildings they toppled
1: Whatever it takes to make toys. There you go. But Sentinels were awesome. I mean, coming to... How scary would that be to have, you know, a giant robot hunting you down? Got the, the little tentacles to come out and capture you. Laser beams in their hands. Thrusters in their feet. And just the brute strength. And the fact that they can talk to each other. And then... As you said, later in the season, in Final Decision, they're made out of plastic, so they can be changed from metal to plastic based on master mold. Definitely, I mean, just a great way to start a TV show. And, like, what other TV show starts with a two-parter right off the bat?
0: Yeah, that was the thing about this show is, you know, this was one of two, three, I'm trying to remember now, two-parters. But really, the show was a continuing story, which you mm-hmm. did not see in cartoons back then. You didn't Everything. see the; it was they were all standalone episodes.
1: I, I believe from episode two to episode thirteen, it would always start with previously on the Mm X-Men and you had a recap of not just the previous episode, but almost everything that had happened in the season so far, and especially stuff that pertained to what was happening in the next episode. Yeah.
0: And I mean, that's something that now, you know, shows like Justice League would continue that and, you know, shows now just really continue to build, but any television show, Back in the 80s and the 90s, that was very rare to have the overarching storyline.
1: But yeah, that was just such an amazing way to start right off the bat, grips your attention. And to me, I mean, it still held true today. Like as a 30 something year old, I was still interested in those first two episodes right off the bat.
0: We, we then follow that up with, as I mentioned earlier, we get our first major villain of Magneto, and the episode is titled Enter Magneto. And we get Magneto, and we get an origin story, but it is obviously toned down if you're familiar with the comics. Uh, again, I mentioned Magneto is first introduced in the very first X-Men comic, and the missile base... Just like in the cartoon, that's exactly what happens in the comics. So all that's the same. But I want to go back to his origin. So in the cartoon, it's just some random military and some sort of military conflict that he was involved with. And they just completely ignore the fact that it's really supposed to be the Holocaust and the Nazis.
1: Yeah, you can't really... uh... Mentioned the Holocaust, I guess, with a TV show that's rated Y seven. Well, it wasn't rated anything back then. Oh, uh, true.
0: But, but but I totally agree. Yeah,
1: that was that was the thing that got me. I believe it, it came across as like a South American country that he was a part of, and guerrillas killed his family. He's upset and he doesn't trust humans. He he's looking out for what is best for mutant kind. and that is for mutant kind to be number one a plain Jane human, then you are number two. And this is the whole dichotomy that drove me to the X-Men to begin with, is fighting discrimination. How are you... You know, who's gonna win? Good or evil? How are you going to change the world?
0: Well, and it was very much tied into the whole creation of the X-Men. I mean, you're looking at Stan Lee and Jack Kirby created the X-Men in the 60s. And... Stanley and Jack Kirby. I don't think they have ever been shy about the fact that, because a lot of their characters were all meant to represent something, and the X Men were to represent persecution. And when you're talking about the time in the '60s, you're definitely talking about you know the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And you they had haven't. you had two sides of the civil rights movement. You had Martin Luther King. Who was trying to do it through peaceful protests which would be the charles xavier aspect of mutants and then you had malcolm x who would be more of the magneto side of that
1: and that's what you know drove me to love the x-men is how this ties in with our history you know fighting persecution is still a thing that we you know fight today it's, you know, it's what path are you going to take? The road forks, are you going to go this way or are you going to go that way? You don't choose the Xavier path or the Magneto path.
0: All right, so moving on, the next episode is the Deadly Reunions, which really seemed to continue the Magneto story. Uh, It also introduced us to Sabretooth, which would be a main villain for Wolverine, but another main villain for the show. But this was really an original episode, I couldn't really identify anything uh, that was straight from the comics in 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 terms of storyline.
1: Yeah. And this to me, it kind of was one of those episodes that you could kind of tell it didn't have any backing from a comic. And it just kind of felt like you said, a one off episode doesn't really do anything to me. This was kind of an episode that I found myself wanting to get my phone out and check.
0: Yeah, there were a couple of those, and I really think the next episode kind of was that for me, really. And it was the the next episode was Captive Hearts. Uh, Now, funny thing was, it is from the comics. It was in X Men 169 and 170 back in 1983. The difference being is that instead of it being uh, Cyclops and Jean Grey that are captured by the Morlocks, it's just Angel. Which makes sense, because, you know, the whole idea of the Morlocks is that they are mutants that are deformed and can't exist in the real world. And, of course, Angel has the wings that he can't really hide. Mm -hmm. I think Beast could have worked as well, but they had already kind of... It was weird how they kind of just got rid of Beast in this series. You know, they send him to prison, and then they just leave him there.
1: Yeah, I felt very just... I don't know. Like Beast is one of my favorite characters, and he's in jail, and I mean he chooses to be there, which, yeah. is a, you know, an amazing move. Like you know, as a little kid, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, why is he? He can get out of jail. Why is he not? Why is oh, he? Oh, and choo- they show that
0: they show they show where in the later episode where Rogue and Gambit are visiting him and. Gambit says, hey, I'll bust you out. And Beast says, no, I'm good. And Beast just bends the bars to let like Gambit out and then just bends them back. Mm-hmm.
1: But the the Morlock episode does bring up a, a an interesting thing uh, for Storm that's tied into later in other episodes is her claustrophobia. Yeah. And coming down, uh, I believe it was in the danger room, where the walls are crushing in on them and yeah. um, she can't handle it and then you know down in the subway she she struggles with just being in the subway
0: yeah no it it does do some character development with storm definitely like if i were to give a best and worst episode of the season this is in my worst and it's primarily because they have a lightsaber battle at the end of this episode
1: yeah <laughs> uh, that i i i noticed that too um uh, who, who, the leader of the Morlocks? I can't think of her name now, all of a sudden, but I mean, she has Darth Maul lightsaber, you know, dual wielding lightsaber. Yeah. And then Storm has the blue one. And it's like, you're mutants. You have special powers. Why don't you just go ahead and use them? Yeah. I mean, I guess Storm powers wouldn't be good in a subway. I mean, all she'd be doing is yelling at Mother Nature.
0: Yeah, I didn't quite get that either. Yeah, it's Callisto, by the way. Who's the the leader of the Morlocks? And I mean, the thing is, is her mutant ability actually makes her better giving her a weapon, because that is actually her mutant ability. Is she has heightened, you know, senses and the ability to just use weapons really well. Like it's one of those weird mutant abilities, but that is her mutant ability.
1: So I guess maybe the developers just wanted to throw her in there as, hey, remember this person from the comics. Yeah.
0: And that's the thing. It's, it seems like such a, a throwaway episode is they introduce these Morlocks and they introduce Kalisto and they introduce all of these characters. And you would think if you're going to do this overarching storyline, perhaps maybe do something where the X-Men have to call on them for help at the end, but it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, they could have used their help in their fight against Apocalypse later in the season.
0: Yeah, or just against Master Mold at the end. Oh, yeah. All right, so moving on, uh, we get another kind of one-off episode uh, just to kind of feature Wolverine primarily. It's called Cold Vengeance, uh, where Wolverine just has to go off and do his thing and ends up having to fight Sabretooth.
1: My question... How does Sabretooth, he says he's tracking him. How does he know he's going to cross that bridge to blow it up? Oh, I have no idea. (laughs) That's just like,
0: as much as we talked about Wolverine is so beloved from this, the fact that Wolverine, his sense of smell just seems a little ridiculous in this cartoon.
1: Mm, I mean, he is a bloodhound in almost every episode. You know, I, I know, I mean, I, you could be blind and just have Wolverine's sense of smell, and he can find anything.
0: Uh, but the Cold Vengeance episode, the best thing it really does is it goes ahead and introduces what'll be the next kind of mini subplot, and that's the the island of Genosha, which would be kind of continues the progress of the story. And that's that's the best thing it does, which then leads us into the next
1: episode, which is called Slave Island. One thing I did notice, I don't know if you caught this on this episode is Storm dresses up and I believe Jubilee dresses up, but Gambit goes in his X-Men outfit on this vacation to Genosha Island.
0: Well, but you you got to you got to kind of give it to the fact that Storm's costume would stick out a little bit. I mean Gambit, you know, again you talk about the you know the trench coat that uh, jubilee war well i mean gambit's just really in a a trench coat and he he also they really give across his that his character just doesn't care <laughs> so yeah so I, I wasn't surprised by that but the slave island storyline is from the comics it actually was just a few years before this show it was uh uncanny x-men 235 through 238 which was in 1989 And this was kind of a softer touch to that storyline. The comic, of course, is a lot more involved with the enslavement of the mutants and what they're truly doing to the mutants. This, of course, is more kid-friendly.
1: True. Yeah, you you could tell that they... uh... Really brought this down, that this could have been something that could have been, you know, in a movie would have been PG-13, even rated R, if they decided, you know, to make this a storyline for one of the main X-Men movies. But, I mean, I found it to be a very good episode, especially those couple minutes where you think Gambit has betrayed uh, his team.
0: Yeah, which which again is another one of those great story arcs that they come back to later. Can the X-Men trust Gambit?
1: And then like we had mentioned before, it brings back Storm's claustrophobia. She gets thrown in the um, what was it? Like the little isolation jail cell yeah, she like gets thrown box, yeah. Yeah, I that's what I didn't understand. As soon as the bad guy's done talking, she tries to fly away. And use her powers immediately after he's done saying... Being told you can't do that. (laughs) Um, I know she's second in command, but she's got to be the worst second in command.
0: Yes. That was... I had the exact same thought, was he's telling them exactly what the collars around their neck will do to them. And she's like, Okay, now! And takes off flying. (laughs) Which, here's my other thing. She takes off flying... What were Jubilee and Gambit going to do? Neither one of them can fly.
1: Mm-mm. Shoot sparkles and throw cards at everybody. <laughs> also, this had a lot of B-list X-Men and side characters in there. Mystique was in there, I believe. Yeah. Who we, else? I think this... Was this the first episode that we're introduced to Mystique? She She's a slave in the... She has one of the collars around her. Yeah. Um, I, I th- think yeah one of the Native American X-Men was in it and then I want to say one of the not Pyro, but the is it Sunfire? Yes, it was Sunfire. Sunfire was in this, drying cement so I felt there was a lot of other kind of somewhat popular characters Yeah, you had Mystique, you had Sunfire
0: Warpath was the Native American one you were thinking Warpath. of. Blob Wasn't Blob one of them? I feel like Blob was yeah cuz Domino I remember cuz I remember seeing the the I you always recognize mm-hmm. her from uh I'm trying to think of who else I saw in that episode. Yeah, no, there was a lot that but I mean they were really unnamed. Like you had to mm-hmm. you had to be a fan of the comics to recognize them. Is it was it North Star Aurora weren't they in it? Because they have the so, black costumes with like the big white collar.
1: Yeah, one I was. I remember in the black them. And white, and one was in the green and white.
0: Yeah, because I'm wondering. I'm thinking I remember once the the mutants were free. They were they teamed up to do some big like light blast. Um, yeah,
1: and when Jubilee gets captured after her um, attempt to free everybody the sentinel captures jubilee and he i think he drops her or picks her up right in front of them as well
0: but then this uh episode also introduced us to cable true and i gotta admit when i was a kid cable was awesome uh i had it i had the cable action figure i thought cable was so cool
1: Cable in this show by far surpasses the Cable in the Deadpool movies, I have to say. And I can't think of the name of the actor who plays him, but um, also he had a different backstory, I believe, and he was a soldier of the leader of Genosha and he gets tired of him because he realizes he's not going to bring democracy. Yeah, and he... I,
0: Yeah, again, they do a lot of, a lot of alteration to kind of fit the narrative and the storylines of the series, which I'm, I'm not against, you know, you're, you're talking about the X-Men comics came out in the sixties. This is the nineties. So you're talking about 30 years almost of stories and you've got to introduce people who aren't familiar with all of those stories. you got to be able to mm-hmm. tell these stories in a way that's entertaining. So I'm never against that. Uh, Cable, by the way, is Josh Brolin. You okay. probably forget that because he's he's a heck of a lot better as Thanos.
1: But True. yeah, he also played Cable in Deadpool 2. And then uh, my question, and this might just be because my memory's slipping, but when Gambit acts like he's betraying the group, And he's turning in everybody, and then they're taking him off. What was really his plan? He fights against the drivers, and then what are you going to do? You still have the collar. Yeah, that didn't make
0: a lot of sense either.
1: Yeah, like Cable, luckily Cable, I mean, did he know Cable was going to come and blow up the car and give him a key? It just felt kind of, you know, well, we need to move the story along. What's going to happen? I don't know. But but it was after this,
0: just for people who are going to go back and watch the show. For some reason, Disney Plus puts the next episode out of order. Uh, Disney Plus goes straight from Slave Island into The Cure. But if you start watching The Cure on Disney Plus, at the very beginning of the episode, you hear Rogue say something about the Juggernaut. And you go, what? Well, Who's the Juggernaut, if you don't already know? Well, that's because the episode before this, that was supposed to come after Slave Island, uh, was supposed to be the Unstoppable Juggernaut. And I don't know why Disney Plus put them out of order, but they are out of order on Disney Plus. So just to let you know, immediately after Slave Island, stop it. Go watch Unstoppable Juggernaut, and then after Unstoppable Juggernaut, go back to The Cure. So I just want to make that clear. But it is kind of a throwaway episode. We, we get introduced to the Juggernaut. I mean, they play right off that he's the brother of Charles Xavier, although they kind of just throw that out there and don't make a big deal out of it. They also introduce us to Colossus, and they throw him in there, but then we never see him again. So I didn't quite understand what the purpose of this episode was other than to give us some more characters but then they never used the characters again at least in this season the, the only continuing storyline we got was the destruction of the X-Mansion which Juggernaut does which then picks up with in The Cure
1: yeah like you said um, nothing really going on I'm just assuming they introduce Colossus he's on the search for his sister I believe and I'm believe he comes back as an x-man or uh joins the x-men team in the later seasons i want to say yeah i'm assuming they just added them in there to say hey we have these characters we didn't forget them they'll be in a later season i'm sure yeah again you know
0: selling toys you know okay now we got a juggernaut toy and a colossus toy because of this one episode sure yeah, maybe it was to introduce the characters and then go, okay, hey, we'll see how well these characters work and whether we can bring them back in future season. But yeah, just a very throwaway episode. You know, Juggernaut is an old character. He was introduced very early in the X Men uh, back in 1965. Colossus had been around for a little while from the 70s. And I mean, it was, it was what it was. I like the characters. I just would have wanted to see more with them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I like the voice acting for Colossus. Like you said, toys. You can sell two action figures, Colossus in human mode, Colossus in metal mode. And then I had forgotten how quippy Juggernaut was. Just it was pun after pun yeah. after, you know, joke upon joke. All the episode.
0: Yeah, no, he's, he's a fun character in terms of the animated series because again he knows he's the unstoppable juggernaut and just Mm -hmm. that cockiness it it works as a character
1: and this uh episode brought up something i thought might have been a mistake in an earlier episode in the magneto episode the whole point of his helmet and magneto's helmet uh, and correct me if i'm wrong here in the comics is so Charles Xavier can't get in his head.
0: Yes, which they make it clear with Juggernaut. They do not with but Magneto, Ma- and Charles manipulates Magneto even while he's
1: wearing the helmet in this season. And so I don't know if they just forgot about that, because I remember in the uh, the reboot, the X-Men, I can't think of the name of it, the one with the Hellfire Club where oh, he X-Men gets first the, class. Yeah, first class. And he gets the helmet from Sebastian Shaw and you know Charles Xavier can't reach him anymore and that was my first, you know, taste with the helmet.
0: Well, I mean they even did it in the 2000 X-Men movie when he tries to read his mind and he even points to the helmet, you know, to to let Charles know, mm, not while I'm wearing
1: this. So I'm wondering if they maybe tried to that as a way of saying hey he's not unstoppable he does have a weakness because he is very overpowered in this tv show so far
0: all right so let's move on to the cure which gives us another big bad and gives us our first introduction to apocalypse that's really the the main purpose of the cure was to lead into the next episode but um the Cured, we do get Rogue's story of her kissing her boyfriend and all that, and that if, that came straight from the comics that uh, was seen back in the 80s uh, when Rogue was introduced. Uh, so we do see that. We get Angel, who is then turned into Archangel. So we don't really get Angel for long, one of the original X-Men. We really just get him for half of an episode, and then he becomes Archangel and becomes one of the... Uh, Horseman of the Apocalypse, uh, known as Death in the comics, which is leading me into the next episode, which is Come the Apocalypse, uh, which is a loose, and I'm going to say loose, adaptation of an X-Factor, not an X-Men comic, but X-Factor comics from the 80s. But that is where we get the Horseman, we get Archangel, who is known as Death. Uh, But in the comics... Instead of it being this cure, they actually believe that Angel had committed suicide, but then he was taken by Apocalypse and he was turned into the Archangel.
1: All right. See, I did not know that about the committing suicide part.
0: Yeah. But again, not going to do that in a Saturday morning cartoon. Nope.
1: Going to stay away from that one. But like you said, I did enjoy the rogue backstory. I thought that was one of the reasons I didn't like the original X-Men movie. It was actually Rogue. I thought it was too much of her. And here you get just a nice taste. And it really does. Uh, is a kind of good question. What if you had mutant abilities? Would you take a cure if your mutant abilities made you an outcast?
0: Yeah, and it, I think it was good to focus on her because here she is. She is not able to have human contact with anyone because of her mutant ability.
1: She cannot have skin on skin contact. hmm As much as Gambit would love it too.
0: Yeah. So and of course I always love how he was like, you know, hey, I'm willing to have some of my power absorbed and become weak for a while
1: if it means getting to kiss you. Mm-hmm. And two, we finally kind of get to see Scott and Jean together really as a couple outside of the Morlock episode where they basically get their date cut in half. Yeah. And then, you know, I kind of felt this would also have been a good time to bring back the Wolverine love triangle. But I guess with the focusing on Rogue, they decided to kind of leave that out.
0: Yeah. And I think, of course, this is me thinking you know almost 30 years after that debuted but i would think if the writing it was already so good with the story arc they are and we clearly see in the last episode which we'll get to they are planning for the future and so mm. i think having the having the love triangle with Wolverine they've hinted at it but don't play on it and we can save that for later you know go ahead and focus on gene and scott being more of an established relationship give us gambit and rogue as that will they want they um relationship that's always good and shows and all and i think i think they were planning ahead in my personal opinion true sure. so what were your thoughts on apocalypse so we've got this big bad of the 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 comics in apocalypse what did you think of them using apocalypse and I'm just going to go ahead and kind of state my thoughts here, kind of being, a, even though it kind of spans over two episodes, but kind of being a one and done villain.
1: Yeah, I was a little disappointed. I, I don't know if it's just, you know, my child brain, you know, when you watch this as a kid, you know, things seemed bigger than they really are. I seem to remember him being like this, like really scary villain. That you know, just like, oh my gosh, like, how are they gonna get out of this? And within this apocalypse, you know, series they had with a couple episodes, he's like a pretty easy villain. They whoop up the uh four horsemen pretty yeah.
0: easy, which they do in the comics. I, I will say that's pretty true. Um, the famine, pestilence, and war. Uh, they're, they're taken out by the X-Men pretty easily. Of course, Archangel, they have that connection knowing that he is one of their own. I I don't know. I, I'm with you. I thought Apocalypse was a bigger thing. It might be once, you know, I look back at the, the next seasons, it might be that he came back and they had a bigger story with Apocalypse, but I, I was kind of with you. I thought Apocalypse was a much bigger deal in this show.
1: Like I said, we're only doing season one, so he might be a bigger deal in the later seasons. And before I forget, what did you feel about Cable coming back? And he's the only one who knows Dr. Adler is really Mystique because she fools the X-Men. I mean, I I liked it.
0: I, I liked the use of the character allowing him to... Because, again, we're talking about a kid's show that's airing on Saturday mornings you can't do an awful lot of mystery or exposition that is going to drag something out. You just got to get to it. And Mm -hmm. so having him kind of be that character that just lets us get to the next point. I think it worked. And then we
1: also had the bumbling idiots of, uh, what pyro and avalanche. Yeah. And I mean, you just, they just kind of come out of nowhere looking for mystique I mean, it was good to have some throwaway villains. And they do come back in a later episode. Well, they, they come back
0: in the, the next uh, couple of episodes with Days of Future Past, which works because in the comics that that's based on, which is Uncanny X-Men 141 and 142, it's only a two-issue series, it is the Brotherhood, which is Mystique's group of, you know, villains who are trying to assassinate senator kelly which is exactly what happens in this now they use the whole gambit thing which we can get into in a moment so introducing them into this episode so just like we talked about the blob was in the slave island episode and so Uh with the blob and pyro and avalanche and mystique representing the brotherhood i think that worked now the days of future past of course they did that as a movie we've talked about that in our archives please go back and listen to that one We'll get into a little bit more detail about how that that comic worked of course this time we get bishop being the time traveler in the movie it's wolverine in the comic book it's kitty pride but we haven't gotten kitty pride in this show yet and i think that giving us a character like bishop to be the time traveler i think it works just like we talked about with cable mm-hmm. he was just a cool character all and right, so, one of my favorites. Yeah, I love the story. I love that it was an adaption of the actual storyline where they are trying to correct a future in which Sentinels have taken control and they're time traveling back to this assassination of Senator Kelly. Yeah, done by the Brotherhood, although this show plays off of that gambit and whether or not we can trust gambit. And of course we that and that's from the comic books. Bishop not trusting Gambit is from a storyline that happened around this exact same time in nineteen ninety two, straight out of the comics. Really? Yes. That that Bishop believes that Gambit is be, is going to betray the team. Hmm.
1: And that's and that's the thing is he's one of the few characters who hasn't really had a backstory episode. You've had Rogue Kind of had Storm a little bit. I feel like just kind of everybody already knows Gene and Scott are kind of, for the most part, goody two-shoes. But it did bring up a uh, interesting part is when Gene says, you know, I've had my dark days. Mm-hmm. And so lit up a light in me. Woo-hoo, you know, dark Phoenix saga, yeah. you know, setting that up in everybody's heads.
0: Well, and I like that with Gambit's backstory, they keep it mysterious because I think it was the Slave Island episode, they allude to the fact that he had been in prison before. Mm-hmm. You know, that he does have this dark kind of past, which I do remember they they do, I believe, play on in a later season and kind of give some of Gambit's backstory. But no, I like that too, that he was he's the character that you're not really sure about I also like you talked earlier about the way he dresses. Now I know that storm is an all white and she's kind of different, but gambits, his color scheme doesn't really go with the rest of the X-Men, which are all of these blues mm-hmm. and, and white Blue, or storm, blues and yeah. golds. Yeah. You know, he's got the purple and the Brown and the kind of magenta type color yeah. scheme. And so again, it is that, you know, can we trust him? And I love that aspect of days of future past. Now, they do have where Bishop is is sent uh, back in time.
1: I was really expecting you to use your joke right there. Oh, yeah. Where he goes uh, back to the future? Yeah. <laughs> well, that was actually at the end of the episode where Rogue rips off his old transponder and sends him back to the future, which really to me was kind of surprising. Yeah, um, he and, just rips it off. All of a sudden, like bye bye.
0: And it was very interesting too, because and again, you go back to the archives where we do the movie Days of Future Past. In the comic, they stop the assassination, and Kitty goes back to the future, as you said, uh, or I sh- probably should have said, Kitty goes back to the future too. <laughs> and we don't get to see if the future changed. There's actually in the comic books where Xavier says, we just, we won't know until it happens. And so I found it interesting that they do go back and show Forge and Bishop and nothing has changed. And they're saying, well, it had to have been something else, which I guess they tie into the fact that Magneto then kidnaps Kelly and it's what is Magneto's plan with Senator Kelly and, and all that was kind of the idea. So I, I don't know how I felt about that. You know, it kind of runs into the it's always been my problem with the time travel in the Terminator movies, that it was almost like, okay, we stopped this. Oh no, but it still happens.
1: You know, which did you notice that uh Wolverine does call Bishop Mr. Terminator? Yes. <laughs> So I got a chuckle out of that one, and also I noticed uh, when Bishop goes back to the future, uh, once he uh, talks to the Forge, and there's Wolverine's uh, metal skeleton, just kind of when what reminded me of a Star Wars Banfa tank. So yeah. Wolverine die when he's protecting Bishop to you know go to the past.
0: Well, that does happen in the comics. Okay. Um, in the comic, Wolverine, to protect while Kitty, again, Kitty Pride does the time traveling, Wolverine does encounter a sentinel and the sentinel blast actually completely vaporizes Wolverine and it's just his adamantium skeleton that just falls into a heap on the ground.
1: Yeah, so I'm guessing that was probably just a reference to the comic then. Probably, yeah.
0: All right, so that brings us to the final episode, which we've already kind of talked about, which was the final decision, which is where the X-Men and Magneto, they have to team up together to stop Master Mold, because Master Mold has taken over and has plans to take Senator Kelly, who has now decided to run for president and replace his brain with a computer and pretty much become a human sentinel that's controlled by master mold and it's going to be an all out battle against uh, the sentinels and the mutants and master mold even talks about eliminating the human race because mutants are humans and so it just needs to wipe them all out and of course that leads to the big battle between the x men and the Sentinels, and we we get all that great and wonderful stuff. I did like, and we actually didn't bring this up, uh, Days of Future Past, remember there's a kid who's talking about a video game, and the Punisher is on the cover of the uh, video game?
1: yeah. Yeah, he's on that video game cartridge.
0: And the final decision when Gambit is having... A flashback, you actually see a glimpse of Ghost Rider.
1: And that that was a thing, too, is I know it was just a little Easter egg, but I'm sorry if I'm Charles Xavier and I see a dude with a flaming skull in Gambit's mind, I'm stopping right there and wanting to know what in the world's going on.
0: Yeah. I think we've kind of covered uh, what happens in Final Decision. Trask, the creator, uh, decides to blow everything up. Although that doesn't initially do it, uh, but apparently a X-Wing or X-Jet, whatever they called the plane, filled with dynamite, uh, (laughs) apparently that'll do the trick.
1: Yeah, Charles Xavier packing heat in there.
0: And of course, it it makes Senator Kelly call off his anti-mutant campaign because... The X-Men have saved him. We see Beast get freed from prison. So now we get Beast back just for the show to end. And we get back to the relationship between Scott and Gene. And we then get our big setup for season two with Mr. Sinister. Although you don't see him. Uh, He does clearly make himself known to anyone who's familiar with the comic books. And we do get our setup for the big bad for season two, which is uh, Mr. Sinister.
1: I don't know, was, You you don't see that too often in a cartoon to have you know an overarching story to have two parters where half of the episodes are to be continued on a cliffhanger, and then the season literally ends with a tease. Yeah, I feel like Marvel took all the stuff that they're doing with their movies and just got it from this cartoon.
0: No, I do think that this cartoon was a catalyst Um, because you're looking at Marvel kind of would put a squash to Marvel movies coming out. The next one to come out would be blade uh, by new line cinema, which ended up being a hit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of people want to give credit to Spider-Man, the uh, Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi directed Spider-Man, but it was really blade that got things going. But I honestly think you got to go back to this cartoon. The early 90s. This cartoon to me is definitely what piqued people's interest. I think you and I have both talked about that this was, you know, I was into comics, but this was something that really got me into wanting to know more.
1: Yeah. And this, this was my springboard into comics. I mean, this was the show, other than Ninja Turtles, this is the cartoon that on the playground, this is what the kids were talking about. You know, you were running around pretending, you know, I'm Wolverine or I'm Cyclops, you know, which X-Men were you going to be on the playground that day? Yeah,
0: And I even remember like wizard magazine would do the fantasy casting of who would play the X-Men in a live action movie. And it was just something, again, it was that, Something you talked about, which I don't think had happened before with, with, you know, I don't think that really happened with the Super Friends because we had had Christopher Reeve. We had Adam West. We had all of this, but there was something cool about these X-Men and it just, it was great to talk about.
1: Yeah. and I mean, it was great as a kid and it still holds up today to me. Like I still, I I I got, I enjoyed it. I, I didn't skip the theme song, and <laughs> I actually watched every episode all the way through. I had to fight the urge to pick up my phone and check the email.
0: So I think we're kind of going ahead and moving into our final segment on the show, which we call our uh, Bag It, Stack It, or Trade It, which is where we make our ultimate decision. Uh, Justin, since you are a first timer, I'll go through these real quick. So, bag it. This the way you would treat a comic book. Bag it means that it's a keeper. You're gonna seal it up. You're gonna put that backer board on it. You're gonna add it to your collection. Put it in your long box. It's gonna be something you cherish. Stack it is gonna be like those ones you talked about with your brother. Eh, you just kind of throw it to the side. You know, you'll come back to it from time to time. But if you know your sibling were to pick it up and read it, you're not really gonna get mad too much. And of course, trade it would mean, eh, I don't really like this. I'd rather give it to somebody else or get rid of it. And I think we both already kind of revealed this, but I'll let you officially say it. Do you bag it, stack it, or trade it for season one of the X-Men?
1: Season one of the X-Men, I'm going to have to go with bag it. To me, this is, like I said, it's a time capsule of the 90s. A lot of culture. If you want to go show your kids, hey, these were the jokes, this is what dressing up looked like in the 90s, then that's the cartoon you want to show. And it's a gateway for anybody to the X-Men. You you show this cartoon and people are going to pick it up. And then that love of the cartoon is going to spread into watching the movies. It's going to spread into reading the comic books. So like you said, this, this to me it's, it's kind of laid the foundation of what Marvel would do later in the 90s and into the 2000s.
0: Oh, I totally agree. This is definitely a baguette for me for almost the exact same reasons. For me, the animation, talking about being an introduction to the comic books, this cartoon was really like watching a comic book come to life. It was drawn and inked just like a comic book. Uh, the theme song, like you said, is amazing. The characters would become hugely popular. Uh, you know, Wolverine, Gambit. I mean, we're still sitting wondering when we're going to get a Gambit movie. I, I know we've seen Gambit in a movie, but that is a movie that uh, should never have been made. But we're still wanting that Gambit in there. And you you talked about the X-Men movies I got to admit as much as I'm not a fan of the character of Jubilee to be able to go, Ooh, that's Jubilee in the background of the X-Men <laughs> movies just excited me. So yeah, it's definitely a baggage for me as well. Any last things you want to
1: say? Uh I just want to say thank you for having me. I feel like I got my nerves out my first podcast ever. So it's, it's a joy to be on a podcast and to be on a friend's podcast just makes it that much better so i hope you have me back again we can keep on talking about the x-men maybe
0: oh yeah i mean we can definitely maybe when we get some time sit down and and uh, watch through season two and come back and revisit what happened next all right well thank you uh justin for joining me and thanks everybody for listening for moving panels i'm laramie wells and i'll see you on the other side of the page